Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of What the Politics. I'm Emily, and Victoria is here as well. And today we're really excited for our special guest because this is something that we've really been talking about doing and really been wanting to do since we've started our podcast is to bring on varying characters in the political field locally. Maybe we'll get some nationally in the future. We'll cross our fingers, but we really want to showcase and have you guys get to listen to sides of, you know, different political parties that represent us locally here in in the east in eastern North Carolina. And we normally have our guests introduce themselves to our audience just so they get a better feel for you. So can you go ahead and tell us who you are and what you do? Well, I'm Brian Farkas, and I am the representative-elect to serve Pitt County's 9th District in the North Carolina House of Representatives. Uh, that seat is basically the eastern half of Pitt County, includes about half of uh, the eastern half of Greenville, the communities of Simpson, Grimesland, Pactolis, and Chicot. And I grew up right in the middle of it. And before we dive into the more serious um, topics of our conversation, we like to try to get a feel of who the person our guest is, and we like to ask a fun question. And our fun question for you is, um, do you have a favorite, or actually, what's your coffee order? Well, for me, I'm, I'm not a coffee drinker, actually. So if I'm not drinking tea, um, I'm usually just drinking water. <laughs> I try to stay hydrated, and um, I'm fortunate enough to, to have a bit of a, of a motor in me that doesn't need the caffeine. Uh, I was going to say, so. <laughs> yeah, how did you run a political campaign without any caffeine? That seems kind of impossible. <laughs> yeah, well, my team definitely was caffeinated, but uh, yeah, for me, it's just uh, not something that I've ever really taken to, and uh, nothing against coffee drinkers at all. It's just, yeah, not really my, my taste, but, but uh, good question nonetheless. <laughs> We got you. Well, go ahead and diving right on in. So what got you interested or started in politics? Where did that begin for you? Right. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a product of Pitt County Public Schools and through those schools and the community programs and the family upbringing that I had, I was always just raised to try to pour back into the community uh, because it's that community that invested in me, uh, whether it's through those schools or community programs. And the idea that you have to take something sometimes out of the barrel to put it to good use and move yourself forward. But in life, you need to you need to put back in so that there's something left for the next person and the generations after you. It's a really simple idea, I know, but it's something that's always stuck with me since I was I was really young. I never thought that uh, elected service was something that I always absolutely wanted to do, but I did know that public service, um, whether it be elected or appointed or volunteer. That was something I was really, really drawn to, and and I really enjoy fixing things. So uh, when I, when the, the circumstances came together that this seat um, was going to be uh, drawn a little bit differently than the last time because of some court rulings, that it was going to be a truly fair seat uh, to to compete for. That uh, you know I thought I had some valuable perspectives and wanted to really offer a, a voice in Raleigh for my hometown. 
because like I said, this is, this is home. This is the place that invested in me and I want to give back on that investment. Mm-hmm. And, and you said, um, that you, you're drawn to fixing things. What are some of the things that, that you see around here that need to be fixed? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot we need to do. Uh, public education is definitely a, a high priority for me because to me it is, I've heard it referred to as the silver bullet that really gives so many an opportunity to be successful, um, to learn, to equip themselves with tools that otherwise they may not have had. And so we got to make sure that we have a thriving public school system where children and the teachers have the tools and resources they need to be successful. That means teacher pay to the national average. That means making sure the facilities are are the the best in the country and that it's a place that we can recruit teachers to want to teach in, that it's a place that children get excited about and feel naturally productive in because of how we've designed them and how we've we put a real focus on that. Um, we need to make sure that we're keeping money accountable that's spent in the lottery so that we're actually paying for these the things that we need and the resources we need with uh, with what we were all promised, you know, education lottery money that would go and fund education. So uh, that's definitely a huge need for Eastern North Carolina. Uh, we've got to have a conversation about affordable health care in this area. We've got rural hospitals that are teetering on the edge. Biden had to lay off people well before the pandemic started, at least 200, I believe it was. Um, and, and the CEO of Biden has directly attributed that to a failure to, to capture reimbursement. And that's because Eastern North Carolina has a disproportionately large amount of people who cannot pay for their health care services. Um, but they still need to be able to get to health care. And so by expanding Medicaid, that would, that would really help stabilize our, our hospital systems out in rural areas. Um, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it's something that you and I as American taxpayers are already paying for. It's just being shipped to other states. I'd rather keep that money here, and I'd rather have it do what we needed to do to help our people out in our rural communities. So education, health care, uh, and something I learned uh, or I heard a lot about during the, the campaign was rural broadband. And I think that the um, I think the the pandemic has really revealed the the vulnerabilities of our community, um, whether it is education or or healthcare. Um, so many don't have uh, access to to those things when it you know when there's a crisis and they need to stay at home. Bandwidth issues, um, you know, just not having the internet, but also if, even if you have the internet, sometimes the bandwidth issues are a major problem. So, uh, and we heard those horror stories from teachers and students and, and members of families who had young children at home trying to watch their, uh, you know, watch their kids actually learn. And uh, it, it was a real stressor and, and it's a real problem. And, you know, whether it's education or healthcare, or if you live out in Grimesland in my district and you want to be able to start a small business out there, you need to be able in the modern, in the modern uh, marketplace, you need to be able to compete online. So, you know, those are, those are some big kitchen table issues that I think uh, I'd like to rally Democrats and Republicans around um, to get them to understand, you know, how important those foundational issues are. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to get to work. There's a whole lot I want to do. I've been called a bit of a policy nerd by, uh, <laughs> by friends and, and family. Um, I'm always looking for solutions, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm hungry to get in there and, and get the job done. For sure. And you say, you know, you're excited for the job, you're ready for the job. And, you know, 
talking about your enthusiasm, you're pretty young for uh, somebody running for a political office. You know, normally the age range is is a little wider, a little older. Um, So you're kind of bringing this younger energy into the political scope here in Pitt County. So what do you think, you know, how do you think you bringing that in is going to help you, um, you know, get the changes done that you want to change and help affect, you know, um, us here in Eastern North Carolina and us, us here in Pitt County? Right. Well, I've always kind of had a reputation for being a bridge builder who can work with anybody, regardless of your party. If you are going, if you are willing to to do the work and have honest conversations and embrace the words like compromise, then then I'm your friend. And I, I think that we should be able to find some middle ground. I, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic about being able to do that. I know politics is a hard game sometimes, but uh, if we can all agree that we're trying to come from a good, from the right place and get it done, um, I'm, I'm ready to work. And I've kind of had a reputation in this community for years of, of doing just that. So I think being able to validate my abilities already, whether, you know, it's people who are Republicans who can call their Republican friends in the legislature and say, Brian's someone you can work with. He listens to you. He's reasonable. Um, that goes a long way. Uh, when it comes to my age, I'm really excited to be 33, to be one of the younger legislators. I'm actually not the youngest. There's a, I met a young guy. I think he's like 27 uh, from Western North Carolina. He was a county commissioner and then got appointed um, Republican. But we actually uh, talked quite a bit and, and got to know each other during my recent orientation. Um, I think that, I think being young is a is a is an asset. I think it's going to allow me to offer new perspectives on things that whole generations are going through that perhaps some of our older generations in the legislature um, really aren't aware about. You know, here we've got East Carolina sitting in my district. We've got hundreds and thousands of students who've got loans and are dealing with that crushing debt. And while a lot of that is going to be dealt with at the federal level, it Many of our older legislators come from a time where they didn't have the, the similar loan and, and debt situations that, that we have at our age. So to be able to really paint a picture to what's going on and to explain why these things matter and why or why not they may be, um, you know, one generation may have had some advantages that the, the new ones don't. Um, I, I'd like to be able to be a voice for that. Uh, and I think that, that that's a good thing. And, you know, even though I may be, a young candidate doesn't mean that I'm not going to be a student of history, that I'm not going to listen to my elders and their perspectives and their, their lived experiences as well. Um, but I just think it, it offers more. And the more perspectives, the more experiences we have in our legislature to kind of pull from out of the talent pool, if you will, I think that's good for our area and, and, and good, for, good for moving things forward in a way that, that no one gets left behind. Yeah, definitely. And and you spoke about, um, you know, having those relations with people across the aisle. You mentioned, you know, having someone uh, from the Republican Party giving you a call and, and you guys having those conversations. So, you know, obviously in the scope of today's political arena, there is huge divide, huge um, polarization between parties. So how important is it, you know, for you as a newly elected Democratic member to bridge that gap and have those relations with people across the aisle and in different parties? No, oh, it's, it's incredibly important. And if I didn't think I could do that, I, I would not have put myself forward because I really do think bridge building and relationship building in an authentic way is, is so important. Uh, I hear horror stories at the federal level and I hear it. And what's sad is I'm hearing it more at the state level too, where Democrats and Republicans are being encouraged not to even socialize with each other. You can't 
go get dinner or go grab a beer. And mm-hmm. and to me, those are some of the most basic human interactions that if you can develop relationships through those ways, it's going to allow you to get to know somebody that otherwise you may not have. It's going to allow you to uh, to build an, a genuine relationship that's, that really will maybe be a starting place for you to start talking policy and getting things done. Um, I've already, uh, since I've you know been elected, and I, I know I'm not in office yet, again, I'm the representative elect, mm-hmm. um, I've already engaged some of my colleagues across the aisle, whether it's just a simple text or I even drove down uh, to a nearby district not too long ago and, and socially distanced with a Republican member just so that you know he, he knew who I was, could have put a face to the name. And um, we were able to talk about what mattered to him and what mattered to me and where there may be some common ground to, to work as a region. So I think, that's, I think it's really important to be able to reach across the aisle. Um, and again, I, I think having the experiences that I, that I did, um, a, a, big, a wide depth of experience of just volunteering in this community, leading boards, serving on commissions, um, that's really helped validate uh, what I can do. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a must-have to be successful in eastern North Carolina. Democrat or Republican needs to be able to, to work with the other, the other party. Mm-hmm. And I have a kind of a two-part question. Um, okay. be- because you were born in this area, and this is, this is an area that you grew up in and you have a lot of loyalties to, does that make the responsibility a little bit more intimidating when you go to – um, when you're officially in office? That's a great, great question. And I will quickly say I wasn't born in Greenville, just for the, for the record, but I've, I've lived here since I was three. I was raised here. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all in on Pitt County. Um, but, you know, I, I've always kind of thought that one big issue that we've had is people in eastern North Carolina, uh, they grow up here, um, and, and then they, for one reason or another, they leave. Uh, particularly the younger generations, they don't go to East Carolina, they, they don't go to Peace, Pitt Community College, um, something in the East that maybe they'll, they'll go away and, and not come back. And we do see that when we looked at, when I was serving on the City of Greenville's Comprehensive Planning Committee, there, there were those issues where you could see the fall off of, genera- of people who, after the age of maybe 21, they were kind of leaving town. And as someone who you know grew up here, I I think this place has so much to offer, and it's not set in stone about where our, our city and this county is going. But that's exciting because it means you can still be a part of it. And I think one thing that people always see when they come to visit here is the potential of where we could be and what we can do. So I'm not intimidated by by the idea of being the hometown candidate and 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 not being able to to get it done because i've kind of locked in that you know my goal is to to inspire others and say you know you can build a future here and you can do it in your hometown and you can pull back into this place and we we want you to come here and we want you know whether it's you know and and this goes for people who live in other rural areas of the state i i really want to hopefully uh inspire or you know set a, a a new precedent where where people return to their home communities, invest in them. And, uh, yeah, I, I haven't been overly intimidated by, by the, the notion of doing that. Um, I mean, I know it's a big, it's a big task to undertake, um, mm-hmm. but it, it's something that I think we've got to do and we need more people to do what I'm doing, uh, come in here and run for office and, and get involved in the communities and, and make the communities that, you know, maybe aren't getting all the attention right now, the great places to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, leading up to, to your first day in office, 
What are some of the things that you're doing to prepare for for your term? Great. Well, I am someone who's always, um, you know, I got my undergrad in, in political science. I, I got a master's of public administration from the UNC School of Government in Chapel Hill. I've always uh, been involved with how, you know, to make government work best for people. I've spent five years working for the feds. I've seen the good. I've seen the bad. Um, and this transition period between the day that I was elected and the day before I take office is really important. I'm doing a lot of relationship building, a lot of calls to other members to make sure they know who I am. And, and even when the pandemic clears, trying to find some ways to get them to come to Greenville, to come to Pitt County and see what makes it great. I really think uh, when people come here, it is just uh, it's a great experience and it helps. It helps me legislate down the road. Um, I have already hired a legislative assistant who will be a full time person in my Raleigh office. Um, she's going to be a great uh, asset to my team and will, um, like me, put a, a top priority on constituent services and communication to make sure so the district knows exactly who represents them and what it, what it is I'm doing up in Raleigh when I'm there legislating. Uh, and then we're still waiting for committee assignments from the Speaker's office. Uh, in North Carolina, the Speaker designates all committee assignments, designates room assignments, desk assignments. A lot of that comes out of his office. So we are still waiting for all those assignments. Uh, but in the meantime, doing due diligence on some early policies, building, like I said, building relationships. It's it's everything. So that's that's kind of where we've been at. And um, outside of that, hosting some some listening sessions and reaching out to to critical stakeholders to make sure that uh, you know, I can hit the ground running on day one. For example, I had a great phone conversation with the, the incoming chancellor um, earlier uh, this week. I'm really excited to work with him. He's actually a fellow UNC MPA alum. And uh, we were able to talk about that. And, and I think we'll be a good team when, when the time comes to, to work together and, and fight for East Carolina and in the region. And so um, we don't want to take up too much of your time. So we, we are wrapping up. But one of my questions was, what do you think kind of, because your opponent was Dr. Perrin Jones, correct? Yes. What do you think was one of the reasons that you were able to to um, pull out this win over him? Well, um, I, I'll start by saying uh, Representative Jones did call me on election night and when he conceded. And uh, we have talked about making sure that during this transition, nothing falls through the cracks and, and I'm doing, and I asked him to help me do what we could to um, bring people together because it was a it was a, a hard fought election, probably one of the, the most intense in the state. Um, and I'm honored to have the support of the people and the message that they sent. I think our positive message really resonated with voters. Um, we did not uh, go negative um, in a way that was personal, and that's not something I think my opponent could say. Um, I know there was stuff out there that said not <laughs> didn't say very nice things about him, but um, those you know if I if I if if I had something to say that was negative in nature, it was on an issue, and I think that's fair game. Um, but some of the more personal stuff that really attacked me, um, I think really really backfired, and um, I think that we just kept our message down on uh, kept our head down and our focus on a positive message that brings people together, that emphasizes bipartisanship. And I, I think that I think that was the difference. And we had a, an ad, we adapted a ground game, too, that you know, reached out to people in a pandemic in a responsible way. 
And uh, I think, you know, that hard work, I think being in the community before I ever asked anyone to vote for me is very important too, because here in Eastern North Carolina, there's a, this area has a real independent streak. They want authenticity and they want to know people who've, who've, who've shown up before they ever asked to be voted for and that that matters. For sure. And so we'll finish it off with one question for you. So if you had to say, you know, one thing to the people who have elected you, the voters of Eastern North Carolina, the voters of Pitt County, what do you want them to know about what you're going to do when you get into office? What is, you know, a sentence or a couple sentences of, you know, what you want them to know about what your plan is? Well, I, I would start by saying I'm honored to have this opportunity. I'm only one of 120 people in the state of North Carolina who gets to represent a district in our, our legislature. I don't take that responsibility lightly, and uh, I'm going to work hard each and every day to, to make sure that not only, uh, you know, that, that I, I represent the interests of Pitt County, that I make those people who voted for me proud and, and make sure that those who didn't vote for me in the last election also have the opportunity to see what I can do because I'm going to be a representative for all people, regardless of your party affiliation. If you live in House District 9, I'm your guy for the next two years. And uh, I want to work hard for, for every person because we, you know, Pitt County is a great place and we, we need to take it to the next level. All right, Representative um, Elect Farkas, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of What the Politics. We really appreciate you taking the time out every day to talk to us because this is something that Emily and I are doing kind of as a passion project, but we also have the um, kind of like double opportunity of being with a station, with being news reporters, and this is kind of something that we do more as a way to fuel our own passions and interests as reporters. So we really appreciate the time you take to, to speak with us today. Absolutely. And I really enjoyed it. Thanks to you and Emily for, for making this happen. Yeah, just keep in touch and let me know what you need. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of What the Politics. And this is something like Emily said at the beginning of our podcast that we're trying to do is we're trying to introduce people from across the political sphere to join us and talk about issues that are very relevant to Eastern North Carolina and, and issues that are relevant to, to the voter and not just these political Um, agendas that really get pushed out there. So thank you so much for joining us on this edition of What the Politics. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode. And you can listen to any episode of What the Politics on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.